Welcome back, everybody, to another brand new episode of your favorite podcast. This is the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. I am your host, Maverick Levy. I'm going to always be your host. I love being your host, and I thank you for tuning in and listening. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a regular, welcome back. Always glad to have new and old listeners and regular listeners of the show. But I want to start this show off by saying that I recently had a conversation with a listener of the podcast that DM'd me on Instagram. That's all he did, just DM, hey, I want to talk. We hopped on a call, extremely motivated individual. He's got a supplements company that's coming out, just an awesome guy. And I want to say how thankful I am to have the opportunity to meet people like you, the listeners that are hustling, motivated, determined to be successful. And I thank you for looking at me in a way that allows me to interact with you on a different level by feeling comfortable enough to DM me. I always say DM the show, you know, fill out something on the website. I'm always happy to have a conversation with you all. So please know you can DM me at TBOTB pod. You can DM us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's pretty much TBOTB pod across the board. Also check out the website, tbotbpod.com. Next, the network at this point when you hear this should be up and running. We should have at least one show, Insurance Made Simple with Peter Vitale. He's an insurance guru, so make sure you're going to listen to that. That is available wherever you listen to podcasts. It's an awesome show. It's something that you're definitely going to learn a lot about, and it's something that you need in life. So make sure you go listen to that. The network is awesome planning on getting more business professionals their own shows on the network which is super cool and before we jump into the interview i gotta hit the disclaimer and this is the discussions on this podcast are for informational purposes only i cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain the particular result from the information provided you should always seek professional assistance before making a decision in connection with the topics discussed Now, let's get into an awesome cryptocurrency-related conversation. On today's show, we have a guest I'm very excited to talk to. He certainly is one of the best of the best in the crypto industry. His name is Ben Weiss, and he is the co-founder and CEO at CoinFlip, which is the world's leading Bitcoin ATM operator. I'm reading this from their site directly. They make it easy to buy and sell Bitcoin via cash card or bank transfer. So welcome to the show, Ben. How are you doing this morning? Hey, Maverick. Thanks so much for having me on and congrats on all the success you're having with your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, a huge congratulations and hats off to you as well for creating this company. I know we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how long you've been doing this and your entrepreneurial spirit. And I love to hear it. I love to hear people, you know, in our age range, I'll call it under 30, that are out there hustling and motivating because we need more of us to do this and to have a great impact on this world. But let's get into this crypto stuff because this topic, since I started the show, has been one that people have been wanting me to bring 
on an expert in this. They've been wanting me to bring on someone. And before I ever extend an offer to come on the show, I make sure I do my due diligence. So I had some of these, you know, YouTube guys and some of these TikTok guys that are big in the crypto world on there trying to want to come on the show. But I actually sort of turned them down and waved them away and said, hey, maybe next time, because I wanted someone that actually had a business that was operational. I didn't want them to be just an investor. I wanted them to have some skin in the game, shall we say. And when I stumbled upon you through one of our mutual friends, everything clicked and I said he would be perfect. And here we are now. So what I would like to do for the next few minutes or so is give you the floor to sort of explain what your business does in the crypto world so everyone can understand the role you play in that world. So if you could just break down what CoinFlip does and how you guys do it for the next few minutes, that would be awesome. So CoinFlip was a company that I started five years ago when I saw how hard it was to purchase crypto. And, you know, I'm pretty tech savvy and it still took me a while to figure it out. And I thought, how is someone like my mom ever going to buy Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency? So at CoinFlip, we're a platform company. We're most known for our kiosk, which you can sort of think of like as an ATM where you can buy and sell crypto for cash. We've also expanded into other lines of business, such as our trade desk, where you can buy uh, crypto with wire transfers, you can buy crypto with ACH, you can buy crypto with credit and debit cards, and we have 24-7 customer support. So we are there for you throughout the whole entire journey as you get your feet wet in cryptocurrency and as you know you want to move beyond that and invest in other coins besides Bitcoin, or you want to purchase larger amounts through our trade desk, we are there for you with the same white glove service. And we answered close to 200,000 customer support calls last year, which just shows how many people want to get into crypto, but need a little help throughout their journey. That's amazing. And no, it's definitely something I love the approach you're taking with like you said, the white glove experience, the hands-on experience. If someone has a problem, they're able to pick up the phone and talk to someone. I think that's important in today's world. And obviously what your business is and what you guys do and sort of it sounds like what your goal is to get people that maybe aren't so knowledgeable about crypto to get sort of their foot in the door and their feet wet with you know buying some bitcoin and buying some coins so i would like to start with the very basics and i'm going to be always honest and transparent is I know enough about crypto to get by in a conversation, but I truly don't know the backbone of it. You know, what is a blockchain? What are these things? So I would like to start there um, as a starting point for our conversation and just ask you as one of the best of the best in the industry is, hey, Ben, what is a blockchain? What does a blockchain mean? So a blockchain is a distributed public ledger actually a decentralized distributed public ledger that can store and validate transactions. So the most famous blockchain is Bitcoin, and it's a public ledger in the sense that you can go on the blockchain explorer and you can see every single Bitcoin transaction that has occurred since the beginning of Bitcoin you can type in a Bitcoin wallet address and you can see the transactions where that wallet has received Bitcoin. You can see the transactions where it has sent Bitcoin. So it's actually one of the most transparent systems in the world. And by decentralized, that means it's not owned by a single party such as a corporation like Bank of America. 
It's not the U.S. dollar sort of run by the Federal Reserve or the U.S. government. There is no centralized party that runs it. And the tech behind the blockchain, what it basically comes down to and what it basically enables is if you want to think if you have a PDF or a MP3 file or anything like that, you can make unlimited copies of it. And there was no way before to have scarcity or any sort of markets in the digital space. And as more and more of our world has gone into the digital space, you could argue that the digital economy is almost as big as the physical economy now and in the future clearly will be. There was no way to have essentially private property or a market or anything like that. You know, if there's an MP3 file, you can make unlimited copies of it. What the blockchain did at the most basic level is if I have this Bitcoin, you can't have the same Bitcoin. So what it basically does is it creates property rights and it creates a market on the internet, essentially. And while Bitcoin is the most famous, you know, now you're seeing markets with NFTs and that's just the start and you can store health records on a blockchain. So there's a million uses for it and it's still the first inning and people who've been in the tech space for a while. So some of my execs who been in the tech space since the 90s, they've said they've never seen innovation at such a fast rate like there is in the blockchain space. And there's a lot of hype because you know, there's coins and the prices go up and the prices go down. But at the end of the day, the tech behind it is what's so transformational. And one other concept to understand is every single blockchain has to have some unit of value. So every single blockchain has to have a coin or a token because you have to incentivize the users on the blockchain. Got it. Thank you. I appreciate that breakdown. That's you made it easier to follow than, you know, some of the videos I've watched to try and educate myself. And honestly, I have a clearer picture of what it means now after you explaining everything. So thank you for that. And I'm sure the listeners thank you as well. But what I want to ask you next is something more so along the lines of okay, so your company allows me to go with cash, wire, credit, debit, everything you explained in the beginning part of the episode, and actually to buy Bitcoin. So if I did my due diligence correctly, if I go to one of your ATMs, is the only crypto I can buy currently Bitcoin? Or are there other coins that I can put that money in there? Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. I mean, we sell a bunch of coin. You name it, we can probably sell it. And the thing is, it's still majority of people are buying Bitcoin, but mm -hmm. that's the great thing about this technology being a platform. You can just plug in any coin that you want to sell at the machine if the people demand it and it is a legitimate coin and there's no securities laws issues, then there's no reason not to list it. But we're still seeing the majority of volume into Bitcoin and then the second most popular coin will be Ether. Gotcha. And when I am putting cash in and I'm getting Bitcoin, do I have to have a physical wallet? And when I say physical, it's a bad term to use in the crypto world. Um, but do I have to have a wallet that I input the address into your ATM machine and it's sending it to that wallet? So we don't let people type in the address because if they get 
a letter number wrong, they could send it to the wrong address. So what they do is, yes, you do need a wallet and you would scan the QR code there. And for people who don't know what a QR code is, it's sort of like a barcode. So you would scan it at the machine and insert the cash and then it'll send the crypto to that wallet. And customers show up at our machine without wallets all the time. So that's why we have customer support ready to help them download a reputable wallet. Most people choose to have their wallet on their smartphone. You know, you can even have a paper wallet, which could just be a QR code on a piece of paper. So you just need a QR code, but mobile wallets on your phone is the way most people go, especially when they're starting off. And what are some of the hottest, newest, or I guess best wallets out there right now that your team is recommending to people if they don't have a wallet? So there's the Bread Wallet, BRD. That's a very popular wallet. There's the blockchain.com wallet. So those are both wallets on your phone. And then sometimes when people amass a lot of Bitcoin or Ether, any crypto, they like to put that in what's called cold storage, which is more secure. And think of cold storage as almost like a jump drive. Cold storage wallets would include Trezor and Ledger. So four wallets that I would recommend, the blockchain.com wallet and the BRD wallet for your phone. And then once you start having serious money in crypto and you want to keep it in cold storage, it would be the Trezor or the Ledger. And reasons to keep it in cold storage would be it's more secure technically, even though the phone wallets are pretty secure these days. And reasons not to keep it in cold storage is if you want to trade it, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to keep it where it's more readily accessible. You just want to keep it on your phone. But if you want to buy a lot of Bitcoin, I want to buy $50,000 of Bitcoin. I don't want to touch it for 10 years. I would recommend putting it on a cold storage wallet. And one thing to remember with these cold storage wallets or with any wallet is it's really cool because you're sort of like your own bank. But being your own bank means you have to memorize your password or your recovery seed, or at least write it down in a safe place. Because if you forget your password for your Chase bank account, you can just call them and reset it, right? But with Bitcoin and crypto, there's a lot of responsibility there. So just make sure when you set up your wallet, there's two things to remember to write down. There's your PIN, which is typically four numbers or letters. And then there's your recovery seed, which is 12 words or 24 words and what your recovery seed does if you lose your hardware wallet or if you lose your phone you have those recovery seeds you just buy a new phone buy a new hardware wallet type in those recovery seeds and it'll restore the bitcoin there got it yeah i think a few months back there was a story with that guy he had like two attempts left or one attempt left or something you know what i'm talking about yeah like yeah i mean i even have friends who have probably 50 100 million that they mined back in the day because you used to be able to mine like 50 Bitcoins a day on a laptop and no one ever thought it was going to be worth this much. In a, in a way, like a lot of the early people actually didn't make money from Bitcoin, like the super, super, super early people because they were tech hobbyists and they had no idea it was going to be worth this much and they threw out their jump drives or things like that or their hard drives and you hear stories where they're looking through dumpsters for that. I even had a friend a couple months ago find a paper wallet under his couch that had six Bitcoins on it. 
It was probably still only a tenth of all the coin he had at one point. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, the stories you hear, especially with social media nowadays about people that have hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, like you said, in the dumpster somewhere, they threw it out or they can't remember it. It's mind-blowing. And and I think it instills into people if they are going to jump into crypto, hey, make sure you're writing those seed phrases down in a place that you know is safe and secure and that you'll always have access to or you'll always remember how to get there. God forbid anything happens. But This crypto world is so fascinating to me because from a tax sense and a lot of the audience, the regular listeners that listens to the show know my background in taxes and know sort of what my family's business does that I'm the VP of operations for. But from a tax sense, when someone goes and let's say, you know, I have a wallet on my phone, I'm going to one of your ATMs, I'm scanning the QR code and I want to withdraw cash. That's possible, right? From one of your ATMs? Yes, that's possible as well. We do see still way more people buying crypto than selling crypto. But yes, you can cash out at both our trade desk or at our kiosk. So when someone is making that cash out, even though it's not as popular um, maybe as your other transactions are, the taxable event on that withdrawal, how are you guys seeing that take place? Because obviously it would be a gains because they're selling it off because it's still in the IRS's eyes, it's still regulated almost like stocks. And, yeah, and- exactly. I think it's technically called intangible personal property, but what really matters is the tax treatment is the same as stocks. So when you purchase cryptocurrency, there's no tax event. When you sell cryptocurrency, you would pay what's called a capital gain, just like if you sold stock. And if it's for less than a year, you would pay it at ordinary income rates, which are higher, up to 37%. And then if it's longer-term capital gains, which means you hold it over a year, you would pay 15 to 20%. So if you're holding for 11 months and you want to cash out, maybe wait one more month, but it's treated like a stock. And one thing to remember too is, So if you have a gain on your crypto, you would pay a capital gain. But you can also, if you sell it at a loss for whatever reason, make sure you record that as well because you could take a loss there on your taxes and reduce your taxable income. And I think one of the hardest things with crypto right now is that there's a million exchanges, there's a million coins, and you know some people bought these coins a while ago when the record keeping wasn't really there. Yeah. So making sure, you know, if you have like a Robin Hood or a Vanguard, all your transactions are in one place, right? So it's easy to sort of look at your transaction history or you'll actually get a tax form from them at the end of the year. But with crypto, I mean, you could have made your coins six years ago mining and then you could have sold some at the ATM and some at Coinbase and or you could have switched it to Ethereum and then cash it out. So I think, just being cognizant of recording every transaction you have. And then whoever makes software, and I know a lot of people are working on it and there's things out there, but there's just so many wallets and so many platforms that just sort of automates that thing. I know that would get rid of a lot of headaches. And you know, the general rule, if you cash out, you owe a tax yeah. unless it was at a loss. So. You know, and I'll tell you an interesting story real quickly since it's on topic is we had a client that came in for an audit. Um, you know, it was a few hundred thousand dollars, but he had recently over the past few years transitioned out of his construction job and into the crypto day trading 
uh, portion of it. And so he was doing this mostly. And like you said, in the early days, and actually I shouldn't even say the early days, just a few years back, like you said, the record keeping wasn't there like it is today. And I think it needs to get a little bit better, but our client is having to go through as much as he can of these old emails that he's getting and figure out where he bought this if some were tokens, he's buying this token and this coin and trying to go back and the um, exam agent for his audit is just going through it with, you know, under a magnifying glass. And for some reason, they're really stuck on this crypto part of it for that. So for everyone listening, Ben is very knowledgeable on the tax side of things. I can tell by the way he's explaining things out. Um, in layman's terms. And it's important to understand that for all of you people out there that do have, you know, some of your accounts hooked up to some of these platforms, they are reporting that to the IRS and or you need to claim them if you're selling them. Or like he said, if you're selling them at a loss, even better, you're, you know, if you need to show a loss on your tax return, make sure you're recording that. And also make sure that you have an accounting firm and a CPA firm that is able to handle your crypto needs because it's something that is needed in today's world. You know, we're seeing a lot of people dabble in this more and more. And this audit was a pretty eye-opening experience to us as a tax firm because they were really just going through it with a fine-tooth comb and just picking out all these different crypto transactions that he's had because it's up there in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for this individual. So make sure you're recording that properly. If you do need any tax help, 800-TAX-LEVY or levytaxhelp.com. But Ben, I'm learning a lot from this conversation. I'm going to say it 50 times, but this is a topic that, you know, I have enough money in crypto where you always see, you know, that you're not going to lose sleep about if I lost, right? So uh, I understand how to invest it. I understand the basics of it. If I lost it all, I'm not going to lose sleep over it, you know? So from your perspective, where do you see the next five years in the crypto world going? Where is it going? Is it going in a place where, you know, everyone and their aunt is going to be having crypto? Obviously, we have the the metaverse and the NFT, which, you know, that sort of goes hand in hand. But in Ben's perspective, where do you see the next five years in cryptocurrency being? So the next five years in cryptocurrency, I mean, it's going to be crazy because one day in cryptocurrency, I feel like is 10 years in anything else. I mean, it's nuts how fast this industry moves, but I think you're going to see a couple of things. First off, you're going to see, let's just call these the large cap coins or sort of the basic coins like Bitcoin and Ether. You're going to see them accepted by large institutions and traditional finance, which you're already seeing with all the money they're pouring in, is just part of any basic standard portfolio. Just how you would hold the S&P, I think you're going to see people think, oh, I hold the S&P, I hold Bitcoin, just a basic thing that every single person should have exposure to. And then I think you're going to see another trend where cryptocurrency, at least in the U.S., has acted more like an asset than a utility and an investment more than a currency. And what people don't understand is a lot of the tech behind the scenes is happening right now, but you don't really see the utility part and the mass adoption and just the interaction for like three or four years down the line. So for instance, when people were getting into crypto in 2014, 2015, you really didn't see good, easy wallets for storing crypto come out till 2017. So sort of that utility aspect mm-hmm. and ease of use always is a couple of years behind. I promise you there's a lot of cool things going on right now that you don't hear about, but are three to four years away from happening. 
So for instance, NFTs, people think of NFTs as art and collectibles. But if you really want to think about NFTs, NFTs means you can tokenize any asset, physical or digital or any sort of asset that can be owned by one or more individuals. So you can tokenize real estate, for instance. You can tokenize crowdfunding investment. You can tokenize everything. Like for instance, with real estate, one of the things that's a barrier to entry to real estate and which is bad for income inequality is real estate typically always makes money over time, but it takes a down payment to get in, right? What if you tokenize it and you know you can have a group of people sort of crowdfund even just a house, $10 to put it in, sort of like a more efficient REIT and things like that. You can tokenize art projects. You can tokenize anything. And it's also going to change. One other thing I'm looking at is how is crypto going to change content creation? Because content creators and people like you are actually some of the most underpaid people in the world compared to what they actually contribute because you have this weird roundabout model where you have to make money off of advertising or sponsorships and it's hard to sort of monetize the value you're creating. Even for journalists, you're seeing the struggle where, for instance, like let's say I want to read an article on the New York Times, but now they have a paywall and they're like $10 a month or $20 a month. I don't even know what it is. But what if I just want to read that one article? Why couldn't I just read that one article and my browser would send a micropayment in crypto automatically, either based on that article or based on how much time I spent reading it to the New York Times. Or even better, wow. what if you, what if I don't actually want to read the New York Times? I just want to read that one writer, and I don't want to pay the New York Times ten dollars, of which the writer gets ten cents. What if I just want to pay that writer directly? So, if you can monetize that with micropayments with cryptocurrency on the internet you can just pay that content creator automatically. And then guess what? That content creator doesn't have to rely on ads because you can just auto pay based on how long you watch a YouTube video or something like that. Or, And then, you know, let's say you're engaged as a fan, then the um, content creator can give you cool perks like, you know, top 10 fans get this limited edition NFT for my concert or get to have a one-on-one -on -one 30 minute talk with me. Like there's a million cool things you can do and I think there's going to be explosion of content creation instead of this weird roundabout model where you have gatekeepers and publishers and middlemen and then having to monetize it with ads and sponsorship. Why can't it just go directly to the content creator? And you're already seeing that in the art space with the NFTs. But I think the next thing is just going to be content creation in general. And people don't understand how hard it is to monetize content creation unless you do it for a living. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, like I said, this podcast is kind of like a side gig for me. I love doing it. Uh, my main thing is in my family's business and then some other side projects that I have. But my girlfriend, for instance, is an influencer and I keep telling her that she needs to try and utilize whether it's NFTs or whether it's something in the crypto space because she has the following to do so. Um, you know, and the people that want to be in business with her are there. So try and do something like that. So I think it's very important that you're diving into that world because I think there's a lot of synergy between the two. But what's and crazy- And one thing that people don't think about is that crypto is gonna make this a fair world and crypto is beneficial to humanity outside, you know, just the wealth it creates because it, it flattens hierarchies. It takes away gatekeepers and middlemen. 
in rent seekers and allows us to directly do commerce and interact with each other and get paid for the value we bring or the content we create. And it also is borderless. So for instance, let's just say 50, 60 years ago, if you were fleeing a war-torn country, you would take everything you had and you would put it on your back and what you could take, you could take and what you left behind was gone and your bank accounts were probably seized. But now with just a password in your head, you could take your family's whole life savings as you fled you know, a war-torn country or something like that. So I think the human rights aspect of crypto, whether it's the power it gives to people who are disenfranchised or who live in authoritarian countries or for content creators who, whether it's music or artists who have typically always been underpaid compared to the value they create, there's a human fairness aspect here that people don't talk about. Yeah, and I was gonna say, you know what's crazy is last night, I had a dinner meeting literally last night um, with another gentleman that was my age, 23, and then someone that was 44 and someone that was 51. And the reason we had the dinner meeting was to try and create a crypto NFT event at a space that had not been utilized for this before, but it's a really cool space. I can't talk much about it, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because the 44 and the 51 year old didn't understand why crypto is gonna be so big. So if these gentlemen were talking to you and and they said, Ben, yep, we see people are making money on crypto, but why crypto? Why not just continue using the dollar? Why should we use cryptocurrency? What would your answer be to them? Well, I think the first thing is it's not an either or just because we use crypto doesn't mean we can't use the dollar. They're not mutually exclusive, but that's sort of a different conversation. And what I would say is because the blockchain is going to, and it already has, decentralize industries and bring power to individual users and also have a more secure way to store data whether it's monetary transactions like Bitcoin or whether it's health records from hospital or property records or voting or what about, you know, during the COVID period when the government gave out all the stimulus, which was great to help the economy. One of the problems was it took forever for people to get their stimulus checks. And I had some friends who had restaurants and things like that. And by the time they got their checks, it was already too late. So what if everyone just had a public address and it doesn't matter if it's Bitcoin, or it could even be, you know, the government should use blockchain. What if it's US dollar coin or a digital dollar and, oh, there's a thousand dollar stimulus check. Why wait six weeks when you can just airdrop it in 10 minutes into every citizen's account? So I think that every business is going to become a blockchain business in a way. And every single industry from hospital records to sports to data storage to music, to art, is going to be touched by blockchain in some way. Think of it like the internet. Your business, no matter what business you have or what you do, maybe you don't think of it as an internet business, but like you definitely have to use the internet for your business to succeed. You definitely have to use the internet to be just a person in this world today. Who doesn't use the internet when they wake up? It's going to be like that where who goes through a day and they don't use something that's powered by a blockchain, whether they know it or not. And people forget, like in the 90s, the internet was laughed at for a while. And think about people were scared to put their credit card numbers online and things like that. I mean, what people don't understand is Sears used to own Discover Credit Card 
And, you know, Sears went under, Discover's a big company now. And the reason Sears got rid of Discover was because they're like, no one's ever going to put their credit card online. And now everyone does. But at first, the stuff seems, you know, goofy or silly or crazy. And that's how every tech revolution starts. You know, you need the people willing to take the risk. You need all those crazy NFTs selling for $60 million that people don't understand what the value is to get people excited about the market, to get attention. And then a lot of the real stuff happens behind the scenes, and then it becomes part of people's lives before they know it. Yeah. So what's the deal in China? Have they stopped the allowing of Bitcoin and that kind of stuff? Or do you have any insight on what's going on in China with that? So the joke typically about China is that they ban Bitcoin every single year. So it sort of gets banned, but like it's still being used there and they're still mining there. But obviously the government doesn't like it and there's strict capital controls. So, you know, it's sort of like a joke in the crypto industry, like China banned Bitcoin again, and then the price goes down for a little, and then it goes back up. So, you know, they're definitely not the biggest fan of Bitcoin, but it's not like Bitcoin isn't being used there anymore. And if I gave a hypothetical to you that said, hey, U.S. is going to sort of follow suit like China and try and disallow the usage of Bitcoin, however they choose to do so, and whatever path they took, and they said, hey, we're going to create our own coin that we want you to use, and you can't use this, you must use this coin— what do you think the reaction would be to something like that? Well, I think it would be one of the biggest mistakes ever made in history. That would be like, oh, we don't want the internet here in the U.S. Imagine if they did that in 1990, whatever, and the internet really got developed somewhere else in China or, or Europe or wherever. I mean, think about the loss of jobs and innovation and you know what it would do to national security if we didn't have the internet developed here. So I think it's a mistake. But that being said, the whole point about Bitcoin is it's decentralized. You know, with Facebook, Congress can bring Mark Zuckerberg before them and grill him, but they can't bring Satoshi Nakamoto before Congress and grill him. There's no one centralized leader. There's no corporation to go after. There's no one person to attack. There's what are you going to do? Seize millions of hardware wallets and how do you even seize them? So the whole point, that's why it's decentralized. And the good news is, you know, we do a lot of regulatory work and people in Congress are really coming around. And guess what? Like, it might be a surprise to people, but regulators and congressmen and congresswomen, they do want to do the right thing. They do want innovation here. They do want jobs here. They want consumer protection. They want guardrails. But like most people do want to do the right thing. So to the extent that people are against it, it's usually because they just don't know about it. I've never met anyone who's done a bunch of research or talked to a bunch of people in the industry and then come out and say, oh, yeah, I think this is a terrible innovation. Even if they don't believe in Bitcoin, they believe in the underlying tech. So I'm not worried about it being banned in the U.S. And again, Bitcoin isn't really used as a currency in the US, it's more used as an investment. Where you see it used as a currency is a lot of third world countries, Latin America, Africa, where they have a very unstable government, unstable monetary system, massive inflation. And Africa is very interesting because in some ways they skipped a whole generation of tax. So they're used to using their phones as their bank account more than us. But in the US, Bitcoin is sort of seen as an investment. So the government has no reason even to think it will compete with the digital dollar. And if we could make 
the dollar more efficient with a digital dollar instead of paper money or sending an ACH and waiting three days for it to come and then being reversed or things like that? Why wouldn't we? So it's not mutually exclusive, just like there's God knows how many coins, a thousand coins, a thousand blockchains that all do different things. Bitcoin exists and it does different things than Ether. There's no reason that the dollar can't exist. And there's no reason that the government shouldn't try and upgrade the technology behind the dollar. So I don't see it as an issue either way. And I think it looks like the Federal Reserve is looking at it, but they should, you know, keep the ball rolling. Yeah. And I think what's very fascinating from a tax standpoint is you have this whole world of the IRS where these folks, some are younger, a lot of them are older, a lot of them have been there for a long time. And when they're starting to see about this crypto, I think it's causing a little bit of havoc, a little bit of panic in their eyes as governmental employees. So, you know, if someone does owe, you know, let's call it a quarter million dollars to the IRS and they have, you know, a ton of cryptocurrency and, it's going to be a fascinating event to watch how our government is going to be able to educate the government officials, i.e. the revenue officers, the exam agents, and whatnot, on how to go about approaching a situation where an individual has the funds available in a cryptocurrency because everything is what you look like on paper. So I think that's going to be interesting as this continues to evolve. I think it's here to say the only reason I pose that question of what if the U.S. government disallows it is because I think that as generations change in who's holding office and if we can get some younger folks in there and like you said, if you're working a lot with the regulatory people and lobbyist groups and are really pushing this, it's going to have an, a true impact on the way that the government officials that are actually doing the day-to-day -day work, like I said, the revenue officers and whatnot, are going to be able to interact on a level where they fully understand that, right? They fully understand that, God forbid, someone owes a quarter million dollars, but you know they have a quarter million dollars sitting in a ledger somewhere, you know, it's sort of that gray area that's still gray and fuzzy a little bit. It still is because there's not that training on the back end to teach them about what these things mean. So I think it's going to be an yeah. interesting... Well, there's a lot of tools now, like the blockchain analytics tools. And again, it's a public ledger. Like yeah. law enforcement used to not like crypto. And now they're like, thank God, you know, that criminal used crypto instead of cash. Because if it was cash, we'd never be able to stop it. Crypto is on the public blockchain. There's reports from Chainalysis and other reputable groups that less than 1% of activity on the blockchain is illicit, which is lower than what happens at the bank. So it's actually a very transparent system once people know how to use it. And I think in the past couple of years, the government has got a lot better of understanding it and kudos for them for understanding it. My mom used to be an IRS agent, by the way, and still has a lot of friends there. And she said they're starting to wrap their head around it. I mean, it's not that complicated. Just like if you sell a stock, let's say 200K of stock, 200K of stock shows up in your bank account, you owe a capital gain. You know, you sell 200K of crypto, shows up in your bank account, you owe a capital gain. So it's not, you know, there's complicated things like airdrops and things like that, but that's such a small percentage. If the majority of the potential tax revenue is from people cashing out coins, I mean, it's all there. It's just like cashing out a stock. And I think in the government's interest is, for instance, now all the richest people are in tech. Think about how much money has been made in tax revenue by the government. I mean, California has a 
huge tax surplus because of all the tech people there. So, and people, you know, do pay their taxes in crypto. Maybe it's tough on the airdrops and things like that. But when people cash out a large amount of coin, most people I know, no one wants to be audited by the IRS. People want to do the right thing. And I think people understand now that it's treated like a capital gain. This isn't five years ago where no one knew how it was treated. So, you know, I think there's so much money in crypto and so much money being made that, you know, the government has an incentive to support crypto because it's huge, huge, huge tax revenues for them. I mean, more money has been made in crypto in the past five years than any under other industry by a multiple of dollars. Yeah, no, 100%. And as we wrap down to the end of the interview, I want to ask you about the tokens, right? You see people saying pump and dump, and they're running up these tokens and making a ton of money. How is that working? And will you break down sort of the scheme behind how those types of events take place? So pump and dumps, unfortunately, just like any market, there's bad actors and there's coins that aren't reputable. And those pump and dumps, you have a liquid market, essentially. So small markets and some whale or someone will pump up the price. Of course, they own it first by pumping news or things on Twitter about it. People will buy in and then they will cash out the whales. So you've seen a lot of that in 2017 with ICOs and things like that. And a lot of people ask me, what's the next Bitcoin? What's the next Bitcoin? And I say, well, Bitcoin's the next Bitcoin and Ether's the next Ether. If a coin is a couple cents, it's probably a couple cents for a reason. And I'm not saying don't play around with the smaller coins. I mean, there's there's some smaller coins that are going to be big deals, you know, just like how during their tech bubble, there's, you know, Amazon comes out of it, Facebook comes out of it, Netflix comes out of it. So there's going to be more winners besides just Bitcoin. But if a coin's five cents, it's probably five cents for a reason. And unless you have substantial Bitcoin and Ether, you shouldn't be messing around with those smaller coins, in my opinion. Of course, I'm not a financial advisor, but like, if you want to get into crypto, start with the basics. Bitcoin might be 40K a coin, but guess what? You could buy $20 of it. So buy $20 every week or something like that and get your feet wet there before you start speculating on coins that, unless you're a tech guru or a wizard, you know, you probably don't have the technical skills to understand what that blockchain is trying to accomplish, what it's going to do. Anyone can put buzzwords and, you know, pump a coin. So I would just say the smaller the coin, the more careful you should be. A good resource is coinmarketcap.com. It lists the market caps of all the biggest to smallest coins. So you can see how big that market cap is, what the price is, what's the trading history. And for instance, in 2017, there were a lot of pump and dumps with ICOs. If you bought some sort of ICO or some smaller coin in 2017 that went to zero essentially or went down is never coming back, just cash it out and take a tax loss. At least you'll get some of the money back in that form. Even me, who, you know, you don't pick winners every time. I had a bunch of coins from 2017 that, you know, just didn't work out. So if you do have coins that sort of go to zero, you know, mainly probably those from 2017, because hopefully we're not buying those coins anymore, cash them out and take the tax loss. So how many different ATMs are there and how many different locations do you have? We have just under 
4,000 locations across 49 states in the U.S. and soon to be international. You can go to our kiosks with just cash and a phone with a wallet, or you can call our trade desk and send a wire transfer, ACH, debit, credit. You want it, we got it. So if you want to buy crypto, you can buy it through us. You can buy it through Cash App. You can buy it through Coinbase. There's options out there. And do your research on the coin and start with the stuff that is basic and that you know. And then once you get your feet wet, make investments how you see fit and always never invest more than you're willing to lose. But I think at this point, cryptocurrency is part of any portfolio. Yeah, no, I agree. And real quick, before we sign off, I have one thing to say. And then one last question for you is that during this interview, I was kind of poking at Ben. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you probably heard that. Ben and I have never talked before, so he doesn't know me. But I was kind of poking at you because I wanted people to understand that crypto is a real thing. It has true utility. I'm a 100% a believer in cryptocurrency. I think it is the future. Not sure in what way it's going to be the future yet, but it's definitely going to be the future. But the reason I asked you the questions and approached the conversation in the way that I did was because I knew that you had the support and the information and the knowledge to back up whatever your answer was going to be. And you absolutely did. You didn't stutter. You didn't say, um, you didn't hesitate. You had an answer for every single question that I brought to face and you tackled it with information. Some you brought some statistics, you brought some percentages. And so I think that should go to show all the listeners that here you have someone that's a leader in their industry. He's a young guy, he's a hustler, he's motivated, he's determined, but he has the answers to what the naysayers might say and what they are currently saying. This is something that's real. This is something that's going to transition, especially, you know, for our age group and our, you know, generations to come. It's going to change the way people conduct business, people save money, people invest. It's going to change that. So definitely educate yourself if you are not educated about crypto, you know, he gave out some great resources, just watch videos, you know, watch YouTube, listen to podcasts, whatever you can do to educate yourself is going to be beneficial to you in the long run of things because of where this space is going. But Ben, I, I really thank you for taking out the time. I know you're a busy guy and I always want to give the opportunity. What's the website? And if someone wants to contact you or someone on your team, will you give out some contact information as well? So our website is coinflip.tech. Our Instagram and Twitter is coinflip. And my Twitter and Instagram is bencoinflip. Awesome. Thank you. And the last question, this is one I ask every single person that comes on the best of the best podcast. And that is, Ben, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? So I would say just be radically self-honest with yourself and do what you want to do, whether it's start a business, travel to a country, whatever, because the only things in life you regret is the things that you want to do and you don't, not the things that you do and don't work out. And your 20s is the time to make those mistakes. Trust me, when you're 30 and you have mortgages and kids, you're not going to even take those risks. So take them now. I've never regretted doing something I've always wanted to do. And a lot of times when you ask a friend something, you know, should I do this? Should I travel to this country? Should I start this business? A lot of times you're not actually asking for their opinion. 
you're asking for permission. So no matter what you want to do in life, the 20s is the time to do it and build those experiences. And if it doesn't work out, guess what? You're still young. And now, and of 60 episodes, that is the first response I've heard to that question. You know, a lot of people say a few different things, but that is the first response I've heard that was answered in that way. And I couldn't agree with it more. I think that it's absolutely essential to take risk when you're younger, when you don't have much responsibility on your hands, you don't have a family to care for mentally, physically, and financially, and you don't have all these other expenses that you need to be responsible for. So take those And you also, you have the energy. I mean, think about even in college, you know, you could probably go out three, four days in a row if you wanted to, but you don't do that even at 26, 27. You have, you have an extra step of energy when you're young. You can put in those 12 hour workdays. You can put in those 16 hour workdays. You can travel to that country. You can backpack. And so use that time and it doesn't have to be business, but whatever you want to do, now's the time to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Like I said, I know you're a busy guy and you got a lot going on. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on and talk to me and indirectly talk to the listeners. I know they appreciate it. This has been a topic they've been wanting to hear for quite a while. So thank you for that. And hey, we'll have to have you back on soon as you you keep growing and expanding your business and developing it. would love to hear the progress and have some more discussions. I think these are essential. Yeah. And I love best of the best. I mean, I wish I had best of the best when I was in high school and middle school and all those things that matter that they don't teach you, you know, so appreciate what you're doing as well. Yeah. Thank you, man. All right. Have a good one. Have a good one. We have another sponsor for the best of the best Mavericks Guide to Success. And today's sponsor is Cope Notes, a daily mental health support company that will send you one text a day to train your brain to help combat guilt and depression and shame. They send you one positive message every single day. Go to copenotes.com. You can sign up there. If you have a business, it's a great add-on for your team members. I actually had the founder on the show, Johnny, but seriously, everyone, copenotes.com. They're great, great founder, and they're absolutely killing the game right now. So please, for your mental health, go get Cope Notes. As you can hear from the way Ben spoke, and also I said this during the episode, but he is so educated on this topic. He truly is one of the best of the best in the industry. He is someone that is truly a leader in his industry. He is so unique in a way that he is creating these ATMs. He's trying to mix sort of the cryptocurrency world with the physical world by allowing you to bring cash to a physical location to exchange it for cryptocurrency or vice versa. But I can't stress it enough. Make sure that you're staying up to date with the changes in the world. I said this a lot on season one. If you're not changing, then you're not adapting, then you're not leading in your industry. You wanna make sure that you're always changing with the times. You wanna make sure that you're doing things as efficiently as possible. So please, please, please make sure that you are 
going to be the one that is the leader, the innovator, the one that's reading on the next big thing, that's getting ready, that's educated and informed. This podcast is a great place to start for those that do want to learn about cryptocurrency and do want to learn what the next steps of the process are. So if you do have any more questions about crypto, definitely reach out to Ben. And Thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. Please make sure you tell a friend, family member, coworker about the show. This is the best of the best Maverick's Guide to Success. Thank you all for being here. And I hope you look forward to more episodes as there will be more episodes. Have a good one, everyone.